This is Coda Radio, episode 323 for August 29th, 2018. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's mostly weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. Tell you more about those sponsors as this year's show goes on. Why me? Thank you for asking. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, who is established, well, on the internet. It's Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. <laughs> Welcome in, Chris. And welcome back from death. Oh, barely. I think I'm still officially zombie status. Zombie. Yeah. I haven't really talked about this on the air, but I got, I got like lifetime sick, like sickest. Didn't couldn't keep anything down for 13 days. Couldn't water, food. Could barely sleep that entire time because I was so sick. I uh, got really dehydrated. Had to go into the ER and like get oh like, fluided back up and get a whole bunch of like three different rounds of blood tests. Yeah. Yeah, it has been, and I and I, and I, I tend to be better in the mornings, uh, which I guess uh, it's sort of it's a, it's, a, it's a type of infection, and I guess it sort of tracks with that. The fever and, and the and the side effects get worse in the afternoons. So right about noon, when we start this show, I just I just start getting really sick. And so like last week, I think we actually call. I was like on my way into the studio, and we had to call off the show. <laughs> it has been yeah. So but it's good to be back. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, I've been missing my, uh, you know, Chris Fisher hair fix. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I'll, I'll try to send you more selfies when I'm in the hospital. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, we did because we've been gone for a little while. We missed a few things. Uh, the most current thing that uh, Tyler wrote into the show, he says, "Hey, Chris and Michael, I just saw this Windows 95 is available as an Electron app, and it made me think of you. It's Chris's two favorite technologies in one. I'm assuming you saw this Electron app that runs Windows 95. Yeah, isn't that isn't that something?" Isn't that something? It's certainly something. It's uh, slow. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can but make all... Windows 95 slow, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you can make Win 95 slow, then, yeah. It, yeah. Although, part it's... of me, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, part of me wants to see more of it. Like, I want to see, like, no. old, oh, yeah, I want to see, like, Windows 3.1.1, old versions of macOS, old versions of Linux, and, like, the KDE desktop, like, 1, GNOME 2, like, I, I think this would be a good way to preserve historical software in a way and distribute it as a single executable. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go right, though? Yeah. What, what is the purpose of this? Um, I don't know because you can. I noticed in the release notes, like the developer of the project apologizes numerous times for even doing for what this. he's done for yeah. the universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and see, I, I'm, I'm assuming we must have some cute follow up since uh, we gathered. We have a lot of cute follow-ups. Oh, really? Oh, yeah? So the realities of capitalism once again come to crush our spirits. Oh, yeah. So it turns out that the way I wanted to use Q, um, they consider a requiring, and I want to get the terminology here, so give me a second, a device license per device, unable to use, in their opinion, the LGPL. Okay. Okay. And I had numerous calls with reps from Q, and this is just their position. 
Now, granted, all the reps have an incentive to like make a sale, but we were looking at at least eighty plus thousand dollars of license no. fees. No. Yes. Stop it. Just stop. Yes. It. Yeah. So it it it's um. In fact, somebody tweeted to me uh, who had also looked at Qt for his small software company, saying he was surprised we hadn't yet hit hit the licensing uh, issue. From what I've learned is that their intention in the future is that most things will just be GPL. So the LGPL is going to be something that's phased out little by little. It's all pretty bad. Oh, and they consider a on-device or on a... On a uh, so it's interesting because our use case is a Windows 10 tablet. Okay. But because it's a single-use tablet, they consider that a IoT or device installation, not a regular installation. Okay. Yeah, so that's problematic, right? Like, it's it's disappointing because guess where we ended up, Chris? Getting all the way down the cute path and then realizing just for licensing reasons and financial reasons, it don't work. But what path are we going to ship on? <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, .NET? Yep. <laughs> How'd I know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... Cute seems to be... You know, I don't know what their financials are. Maybe they're making a lot of money, but they seem to be, uh, you know, grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak. Like, mm. it, it really should be easier for a small company. Like, I was saying, well, isn't there, like, a de- per-developer program where I can pay, like, $100 a month per developer on my team? Sure, sure. Isn't there something like that where we could just do this? No. And the answer is just, like, no. Hmm. Oh, and our... When they say it's a monthly price on their website, and I'm, this is a PSA, and I'm a little annoyed at it, it's not monthly. They expect that all up front. It's, it's monthly when you divide it by 12. Right, but you have to pay it all front. You can't yeah. pay them monthly. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. it's like four fifty six a month per developer per month. But really, you have to pay it all at once. That's so. classy. Well, that's got to be pretty frustrating. That's got to be like you know, a real momentum killer. Well, it was it was really disappointing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't really understand how they're making money. Other than like really large businesses like Tesla who are using them, just like don't care, right? The shortcut to having pre-developed components is worth the capital cost, I guess. But when you're small, you know, your capital costs, you know, you you tend to be, your structure is a little different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So back onto Windows. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm currently broadcasting from a Mac. I'm doing my Windows Dev on a Mac. I um, I did reach out, by the way, in the interest of fairness, because we got a we got a lot of feedback on this, Chris. Uh, I did reach out to the Q company asking if they wanted someone to come on to clarify or refute mm. or in any way defend. Very good. Um, Very good. I got a no. Yeah, they're good. So. They're good. You're not worth their time anymore. They got big. Well, no, I think that's actually the answer, right? Like, we're just not big enough. Yeah. Well, they're waiting for Elon to call. You know? When, <laughs> when Elon <laughs> launches his uh, podcast, they'll be on that. Yeah. yeah I can't. That. So that's so, where we are. Yeah. And so back on Windows, which makes this uh, pick that was sent in uh, pretty timely, uh, Roberto shares scoop.sh which is a command line installer for Windows. So you could say, for example, uh, scoop 
install curl. That's kind of nice. I, I played around with something like this when I was using Windows, but I don't think it was Scoop. Yeah, I played around with chocolate, yeah, which is yeah. similar to this. Um, yeah, this is pretty interesting. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Homebrew on Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So there's a third-party uh, package manager for Windows. That's. I don't quite understand why this is, is necessary when you have the subsystem, though. Because wouldn't you just put an Ubuntu subsystem on there? And well, then because the subsystem is is stupid the way it works. I mean, it doesn't integrate directly with the local file system. Oh, yeah. it's in its own little world. It's a yeah. The subsystem on the Linux subsystem on Windows is actually a tremendous pain in the ass to work with. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is the Coda Radio. Mike's been driving for three hours. <laughs> Honesty edition. So uh, Scoop installs programs to your home directory by default, so you don't get the admin pop-ups as you're installing Which is packages. what you want right? yeah. on Windows, which is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll do 32 or 64, so that's pretty cool. So that's Scoop, and you can get it at scoop.sh, sent in by Roberto. And I'd, be, uh, I'd actually be really keen, keen as the bee's knees, to learn uh, what other people are using on Windows to do that, like their brew alternatives. Yeah, such as VMware. Oh, keep going. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, you know VMware Workstation is a good product. It's a it's not a bad product. VMware Fusion is also really good on Mac. I'm just yeah. boring it. Out. Yeah. So tell me about your boyfriend Steve. Steve writes he has a travel hack for us. We've been collecting these travel hacks, and I would like some more. Coder.show/slash/contact. And Steve wrote in one that I have implemented. So here he says, if you put a small bag of the stuff you want at your seat when you're on the plane inside your carry-on then it's easy to get to. So I keep one of these freebie string bags in a compartment in my backpack that has a book, a magazine, an iPad, some snacks, and a water bottle. Now I'm going to pause there. So I was recently on a flight, and uh, while I was sick, which was not ideal, and um, I just needed a lot of water because I was finally I was finally drinking again and moving and holding things down, and uh, – I was so thirsty on the flight. Like I just, you know, they just couldn't bring me enough water and they weren't, that's not their number one job. And I was just smacking myself in the face for not bringing like a couple of snacks and a couple of water bottles once I got through security. Uh, so that's what he does. And I, I kind of adopted this though. So I put uh, my XPS 13 or a Nintendo Switch whatever, and, and, or whatever else and like some headphones in the top of my travel bag that goes with me on the plane. And I just pull that stuff right out. He says, I just load it up for whatever I'm in the mood for while waiting at the gate. Then when I get to my seat, I pull it out and everything else goes up above in the overhead. It says it saves legroom, avoids the limit of, ca- of carry-ons, and uh, you have everything you might want. It's a pretty good tip there, Steve. If you got a travel hack tip, let us know. I did sign up for the TSA pre-check and then took my first flight after having gotten approved. And I didn't get TSA pre-check. You don't get it every time. It's not like a guaranteed thing. Love it. So, yeah, my first flight after I got the pre-check, I didn't get pre-check. And it was – um. so I'm thinking – because I'm just trying to – I'm just trying to get in, do a couple of quick things, get some work done, and then fly out. Like I had to get back home. It was just this whole thing that had been scheduled. The, it, it, you, the people will know about it soon, but it was they, – they were paying for my trip. So, like they bought me a ticket and all that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> I tell you, I was like, you know what I'll do is I'll get myself – like a 6 a.m. flight, like a, like a, you know, a really early flight. And then I'll have the whole damn airport to myself. I'll just saunter in there. I'll saunter over to the, uh, to the gate uh, after I walk through security with my TSA pre-check. And then I'll fly, do my biz, and then fly back and be home by the evening. 
Boy, was that wrong. Turns out for SeaTac, 5 a.m. is like some of their peak traffic time. And so this airport was freaking slammed. And the security line snaked on for what felt like 25 years. And it was this long, super long security line. The flight was at 100% capacity, so it took forever for everybody to load and unload. It was the exact opposite of what I went into with my expectations. It all went fine, but... Sometimes you just can't plan for that stuff. So that's why I like these travel hacks because they, they help you optimize in areas you do have control over. So if you've got one like Steve, coder.show slash contact. <laughs> I just couldn't believe that. It's like everything was the opposite of what I expected. This is why I travel by RV. You know, it's way simpler. You just go. You just go. That's why I tend to drive because, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we got a lot to get into, including reacting to some React. Uh, there was some Hoopla that that uh, that came up this week that I tossed into the end of the show kind of like as a tool and all of that. So let's take a moment and thank Linux Academy for sponsoring this here Coder Radio program. You go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't do it right now. If you're listening to the week that we publish, wait until after September 4th. On September 4th, I think to the 27th of September 2018. Linux Academy is running a deal that we've never seen. They've been advertising on this network since 2014. They're offering $299 for the entire year. You'll be able to go over Linux Academy for $299. Now, there are books that I used to buy to learn this stuff that cost that much. A single book costs that much. And this is an entire training library with everything you need to know about Linux and all of the things that run around Linux. Linux. That includes AWS. That includes Azure and OpenStack. And that includes the fundamentals of the Linux file system and developing Python and Ruby and all, all of that stuff is in the Linux Academy library. And you can get it for a year for $299 starting on September 4th. I think this is I've never seen a promo like this, so I wouldn't expect this to come around anytime soon. This is a huge deal for them, and I encourage you to go check it out. It is available to existing users that are in the free community section. And if you've been a, if you've been a subscriber in the past, I believe you can resubscribe with this if you've been considering it. It's a great deal. So when you're ready, go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. You can try it out too. You could go sign up for a free seven-day trial right now, kick the tires on the platform, and then on, on September 4th, head over there and buy the $299. It's a really good deal, and I just wanted to pass that along to you, linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, I've been looking forward to this since I saw you create this doc, I think maybe even last week, uh, and that is reacting to React Native. And uh, you find React pop up in all kinds of places, and it looks like an article you linked to on the Airbnb Engineering and Data Sciences blog talks about their use of React Native. Um, and how they're using it to power their mobile stuff. So I am fascinated, sir. Yeah, so how do we want to take this, right? There, there's a question about React itself and React Native and cross-platform development. But basically, <clears throat> um, unless you want to jump in here, Airbnb wrote this, I think, really good series of blog posts about their journey with react native um and if you don't know react native is a well frankly i mean chris correct me if you if this is off base but a cross-platform development framework for ios and android and other platforms 
to develop native-like applications in CSS, JavaScript, blah, blah, blah. We've talked Basically, about it in bits in the past. We, we've mentioned it. I mean, long-time listeners will know that I, I do some work in the Ionic framework, mm -hmm. which is um, basically Ionic is Angular instead of React. Yeah. It's like the same thing. I'll tell you, though, this did not – this isn't what I – so this journey, as you call it, wasn't what I was expecting. You know what I mean? Like I thought this was going to be like, this is why it's really Okay, yeah. so I thought you and I were going uh -uh. to like completely disagree. Well, I didn't okay. know what to expect. But what this really is is it's a, this is why React Native failed for us and we're Just dropping failed. it. We're dropping right. it. Yeah. <laughs> and I have been on a similar journey in why Ionic failed. So ah. you, you and I, I feel, and you can tell me if I'm mischaracterized. Uh, mischaracterizing you really believe that ultimately it's going to be the web uh, web future for client-side development mm. for the most part right for simple applications for line of business it doesn't seem to be the case though um, this whole journey as, as you said by uh, Airbnb was the moving away from react in fact udacity which is the next thing we have in the reacting to react get react uh, topic also has some of the same problems. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Look Before at this. we let, let's dive into the details, though, if we can, right? Okay, like, okay. This is big one, right. big Papa. Yeah, performance on Android. Ah, that's how many times have we all heard Chris cry about scroll views on Android? Oh yeah, right? list rather table views on it's Android. It's my go-to. It's your go-to. It's his opening move, right? <laughs> um, how about? Oh well, I have to write a custom component for this anyway. You know, Airbnb in particular, which I thought was very helpful, went into detail that like they were doing so much time writing comp custom components for iOS and Android. That what the hell is the point? Yeah. Right. Like, it, it, in fact, as a native iOS developer myself, I can tell you it is more annoying to write an iOS component that has tie-ins to something like React or Angular rather ionic than it is to um, just write the component for iOS in either Swift if I decide that I want to hate myself and drink all night or uh, Objective-C. And by the way, this code reader is brought to you by Malfoy Gin. Malfoy Gin. It's Italian gin flavored huh. like lemon. Nice. It tastes like ass. Enjoy oh. it. Oh. Um, <laughs> Enjoy with a coder. <laughs> it's... I think we were right. I, like in 2013, you and I were right. Come on, let's 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 bang the gong for 2013. That's true. And you know, the, one of the things they point out in this post is uh, they were able to sort of absorb certain di difficulties um, because of their scale. They say our scale allowed us to take on and solve some difficult problems that smaller companies may not have had time to solve or read money. Making React Native work seamlessly with Native is possible, but challenging. And so because of their size and their scale and their team, they were able to take on some of those challenges. And in other words, they were able to, to push this much further than someone like yourself might have been able to because of the scale of their team. And even then, they still had problems. Right. Really. Which, is, which is a fancy way to say they could throw a bunch of money at the problems yeah. and deal with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have, I have been on a similar journey. Um, and I've actually ended back up at, as you call it, Zamarian. Mm, as right. normal people call it Xamarin. Right. Because, you know, people don't want to pay for a double native solution. But web solutions, at least on mobile, just aren't there yet. Right? They're just... Yeah. 
the, the experience just isn't right. I don't even know what to say. And it's, it's all the soft, tangible stuff that makes me want to vomit every time I listen to an Apple Pop podcast. <laughs> it's true. Like, things don't load fast enough. It doesn't just, quote unquote, feel good. It's not a good experience. Let me go drive my Tesla and let me go uh, get a beach house. And, uh, ooh, getting a little personal. Uh, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind those things. Yeah, I'm sure it would help the ratings. Um, it, it's. It's true, though, to a point, right, where if – all right, let me put this more reasonably. The problem with cross-platform right now is you end up in a position of abusing the cross-platform – see, my son is crying. Cross-platform is bringing tears to my son's eyes. It is very upsetting. It sacrifices too much of the experience of the application in favor of cheap development time. So at Audacity or Udacity, they say uh, they say that when they introduced uh, React Native to their team, they, at the time they had one iOS developer, two Android devs, one PM, and one designer. Now they have today they have four iOS developers, three Android devs, a brand new PM, and one designer. And they had to go through different designers and de- and uh, design paradigms, and uh, they found it to be a big drain on the team at, at, at Udacity too. Hmm. I didn't expect because I did not pre-read these stories. I just saw you put them in there, and I actually thought these were going to go in a totally different direction. That's so funny. I thought they're going to come on here and say, you know, React Native has matured. Uh, it's been getting better and better, and as it's now that it's sort of stabilized, you know, our team can really learn how to work with it. And we've been able to eke out extra performance, and the Android builds are faster than ever. Um, but it just isn't the case, is it? It's very fast. Yeah. You know, it's not. And I think I think the reality is, you know, the mobile market right now, as we sit here in 2018, is so competitive that these, that these little user experience problems or these little hassles with coding end up being a big deal, right? Because if you're Airbnb or any app, really, or Udacity, any small company can come up with a better, nicer-feeling native app and compete with you. Yeah. And... I don't know. You have lots of money. Why not just hire, you know, four iOS and four Android developers and frankly be done. Like it doesn't take big teams to do big things anymore. Udacity also had the issue where <clears throat> some of the features they'd built around in React uh, were having lots of problems. So they would talk about a feature gets prototyped on Android um, and then it ships, but it never lands in iOS. And then when it and then when it does land in iOS, it's a slightly different version and then there's bugs between the two. So then it gets removed from the Android app completely. Like the, the it's just not there anymore. And then uh, fast forward three months and it's just completely removed from iOS. And they're like, but we were we were using that feature. <laughs> we were using that mm-hmm. feature. And so that's when that was, that was the final straw for you to ask. And like, all right. So where does this leave you, Christy? I mean, you're Mr. Native, right? You've always been kind of a nativist, if I can use that. Point. <laughs> yeah, that? sure. Sure. Make iPhone great again. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I, I wonder what it, where it does leave us. I think it doesn't really change much, to be honest. There's all these different cracks at this particular problem. The core, the core thing everyone wants to solve, write once, run at least two places, maybe everywhere. And uh, the uh, technologies are just too different. They're just, you know, the screen sizes, the toolkits, the processors, the resource constraints. You know, a, a desktop has a has a power plug into the wall. It's a totally different beast from end to end. Uh, Yeah, 
I don't, I really don't see any way through it other than good web apps because we're just so in this hole now. Like if we could all snap our fingers and go back to the iPhone release and then everybody just had an iPhone for a mobile device, I don't think we'd really have this problem. I wouldn't, it's not, it wouldn't be a good scenario, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this particular problem. That's never going to happen. That will never happen. So now we are in this problem and we've got to, we've got to come up with a solution. So can I fry, I won't fry some bacon because I know, you know, that's the unfiltered thing. Can I fry some ham, like some thick Canadian bacon? Oh, I'm sorry. Canadian ham rather. Sure. This could happen tomorrow, in my opinion. What could? I I still believe in the, I'm going to use the term HTML5, but I kind of hate that because it's really, really, really what we want to talk about is web standards, right? ECMAScript, all that good stuff. If Apple and Google Oh, who gives a shit about Microsoft? Apple and Google could cooperate. Aw. But they can't. Right? Look, look, the root problem here is that, you know, Apple and Google come together and support some open source project to make a ECMAScript standard web-based technology platform for developing mobile applications. And that would resolve this entire conversation that we've been having for, I don't know, uh, six years. Right? We started the show in 2012. Yeah. So... They won't. And I, I don't know if this is me getting bitter with time, but the reason that this stuff doesn't work correctly is because Apple and Google hate each other, right? It, it, they both contribute to WebKit. They both contribute to ECMAScript. If they could just like have a couple beers and sit down and say, we're going to like make this API of standard mobile. Yep. And like Android and iOS are going to be functionally the same, which guess what? They are. Yeah, right. You know, I know, I know, I know. Apple people would swear on a stack that they're not, but they are right. They're functionally I the same. I, I'll tell you, my new the new hair in the sandwich for me that I just can't get over is how things have shifted. I mentioned this maybe before on the show, where in the '80s and in the '90s, everything came out of universities: mail standards, email servers, how how DNS worked, like Unix. It all came out of universities. And, and it was kind of for the world, whereas now it's all coming out of commercial companies, Kubernetes, uh, everything you see now is really coming from Google, Amazon, Apple, those major Silicon Valley type companies. It's all where it comes from. And they're all representing their own conflicting commercial interests. And so what we have instead of is like universities that are creating code for humanity, wasn't always that clear, but you know, you get my point. Instead, we have companies that are creating code to benefit themselves, which often, thanks to open source licenses or larger market ambitions, also benefits everyone else. And that's why, you know, I think we see this way more often than we used to. Could you imagine the computer industry coming together? Like, how, how would we have even gotten HTTP? How would we even gotten some of these right. basics? It would have been a mess. Nothing, yeah, everybody I, I, would have I, had something different. There's something happening here where there's too much, uh, I don't even know what it is, desire to control, desire to silo things off. That's crazy. You want to reclaim your investment. You know, you've invested people and time into this. Like, you got to get your yeah, investment all, out. The, all the big apps, if we're talking about mobile, all the big apps are going to be cross-platform anyway, right? No, no one's going to invest X millions of dollars to make some, you know, boutique iOS app Fair, or boutique yeah. Android app. So why not accept reality and just make like a one standard cross-platform toolkit? And sadly, someone has, and their name is Microsoft. 
Where, like, that's what Xamarin is. I mean, it's got lots of problems. And, you know, for instance, I recently rediscovered that buttons with image image properties on Android in Xamarin forms still don't work the right way because apparently this is too fucking hard for Microsoft to do. Um, <laughs> Love it. Gosh. But, you know, a more cynical look at that would be like Microsoft knows that like Android is not your premier platform, right? Like I, I somehow feel like we're, we're in a position where whatever Apple dictates is what is peak mobile. Well, I mean... It is sort of the de facto standard just because Google has failed to uh, execute on so many so many levels when it comes to Android and building a healthy ecosystem for developers. I mean, look at this crap that Fortnite's going through with the Play Store. Oh, dude. Yeah, we should talk about that. Let's. So, so yeah, can you run me through Fortnite, what they're doing? Yeah, well, you know, Fortnite wanted to start distributing on Android, and they didn't like the deal they're going to get from Google Play. So they Wait, giving up 30% of your revenue is bad? Yeah, what? I, I wish somebody had said that like six years ago. News to me. And uh, especially when you're, you know, making a free-to-play game, I guess that kind of stuff really matters. And one that's growing like crazy and probably has unbelievable infrastructure costs. So they, uh, so they said, you know what? We'll just distribute the APK. And they worked with various partners and outlets and whatnot to also distribute it. But then uh, it turns out that it was causing security issues and people have had problems. And it's, it's one example of a premier app that is the hot app. It's, you know, it's been available on iOS for a while now. And you have this total shit show. You can't go in the main play store and grab it. Um, but it's more than that. You know, it's how it's how the end users are always back three releases on Android. Mm. You can you can you can usually bet on a semi modern version of the play API, but that's as good as it gets. Google has for a third time today, they're announcing a redesign to Wear OS, which sort of brings Google Assistant to the forefront and one swipe access to fitness and they're revamping notifications. And they're, you know, once again, trying to get some traction on the wearable market. But so far, they've really fumbled that. Like, Apple Watch is just lapping them. I have an Apple Watch. It, it's far better than my Moto 360. But Yeah, I've, I, you know, I've bought, I've bought a few of the Android watches. I have and, the Fossil one, too. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. I hope they get there. You know, I hope they get there because I actually think there's some useful uh, small little so, apps people could make. So I, I kind of want to drill down into this, though. You know, when I look at the whole Fortnite situation, yeah. I think about myself railing in the past against Apple's 30% cut. And when I say Apple in this case, I actually mean all the app stores, right? Because Google does the same thing. Microsoft does the same thing. Although, really, who gives a crap about Microsoft? Sorry, guys. You should sponsor the show. Um, teasing. Is that really the problem? Is it that just Google is asking too much money of Fortnite? Oh, is that? Oh, I'm sure it's more than that. You know, right. that's that's been the outward. Uh, <clears throat> what do you call it? Um, that's been the public explanation. Of this. Because like Apple very famously, like recently made a side deal with Microsoft for Office that they're not taking 30 percent. Right. I wonder if it's not just a well, we could bypass the Play Store and we don't. And then there's no cut at all. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. They say in their frequently asked question, they say, avoiding the 30% store tax is part of Epic's motivation. It's a high cost in a world where game developers, 70% must cover all the cost of developing, operating, and supporting their games. And it's disproportionate to the cost of the services these that store these, such as payment processing, download bandwidth, and customer service. We're intimately familiar with these costs from our experience of operating Fortnite as a direct-to-customer service on the PC and Mac. Doesn't say why so that's not the case on iOS. I guess they just have no option. So on Android, well, no, they have I think what I, 
Yeah, I think what they're saying is the iOS market. See, I feel like there's something here where they're saying the iOS market is so lucrative that it's not worth trying to buck the train. And by the way, they have no technical way to do that. But I, I do wonder if there's like a, well, if we lose some Android users, is that really a big deal? Mm. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. That could definitely be part of it. They could also be using this as a negotiating tactic with Google to see if Google will get them like a 15% or something like that. You know, maybe this could be part of it. Uh, and, you know, in the How meantime, about zero? Let me, let me propose something radical. Can I, can I go on a tangent here? Yeah. The app stores are making so much money for the platform vendors. Their cut ought to be zero. You get your $100 or $200 fee a year, and that's it. Interesting. Right, because they bring an immense value to the devices. Right, or you can charge a credit card processing fee, which is no more than 5%. Yeah, especially an app like Fortnite. You know, an app like Fortnite could sell some devices. Right. Your idea is you, you... I mean, and this this argument works much cleaner for Apple. Your mission is to sell newer. Like, you know what, Chris? I I was going to do this as a surprise for our second show today, but I'll I'll sneak it in today. My I destroyed my iPhone 10. No. Yeah. Thank you, two year old. And I'm now in the market for a new phone. So we're going to talk That's about what bad I'm timing. At. That's yeah. We're going to and I'm traveling, so I'm like going to be in trouble. <laughs> so we'll talk about it in the next show, but. I am basically hooked on spending eight hundred to a thousand dollars on a mobile phone. Yeah, yep. Because I don't, I don't do the carrier deals, right? Yeah, yeah. Sick of so to to tell me that you need thirty percent, like I am not a Fortnite player, but my younger brother is, and apparently you can buy. I, don't, I and forgive me, listeners who play Fortnite, but I guess you can buy costumes. Is that Chris? Do you know? Do you know much about Fortnite? Not really, but I, I do understand that part of it. Yeah, right. You can buy like cosmetic things. So let's say you pay like $5 to buy a costume in Fortnite. Apple, you do not need 30% of that. Google does not need 30%. Particularly if I'm paying $1,000 for a new iPhone 10. Yeah. Right. Your thing is, is they all want to bring up that services number in the analyst. Bullshit. That's not a way. I'm sorry. I know. App sales should not be counted as services. That's, you know, that is, that's why, that's why we see all this crazy ass monetization shit in the app store is because they're trying to bring that services number up. And I think it's a, it's a scam. It's a scam to artificially inflate that. And the more kind of casino style in-app purchase games you get, the more that services revenue goes up and it's, it's just a mix of uh, incentives. You know, as a small business guy, and I'm sure you feel this. I mean, I don't. I I don't think you take credit cards. Do you take credit cards at all, Chris? I don't think so. No. Well, I I have, and I I very rarely will. Um, but the maximum I will pay on a credit card transaction, even if it's like an Amex, you know, because Amex, for those of you who don't know, is like twice as much as Visa. Yeah, people hate that. Will be five percent. Yeah, true. The the idea that Apple is charging you 30% to do what? Gumroad. Let me give you a remember Code Journal from way back when? Yeah. They charged me five, uh, 4.6% or something like that. And they hosted everything and they had updates on emailing and downloads and statuses and newsletters and everything. I remember when they introduced it, part of their explanation for the 30% was, well, we're hosting. You know, we, we're paying the bandwidth bills for the distributing hosting yeah. most i mean come on i mean yes games are bigger but there are not like most apps are within the 
you know, one to 10 megabyte range. Fortnite's probably a couple gigs, but it, you could host it yourself on S3 for less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really hold up. Or, frankly, DigitalOcean with their new uh, block storage product. DO.co slash coder. One of the easiest, most straightforward ways to spin up infrastructure. And when you go to DO.co slash coder, you get a $100 credit, which you can use for 60 days when you sign up with a new account. They have a beautiful, easy-to-use control panel and an API that let you spend more time coding and less time managing the infrastructure. You'll see lots of good example code that you can just start with, or you can write your own because it's all really well documented, very clean. And you can seamlessly get going. You can, you can deploy one-click entire application stack. Say you want to move over to GitLab. That's a one-click deployment. Or if you want to build it all the way up from the bottom up, you can do that too. Deploy the base distribution and then build from there. You can do clustered deployments. And if you need something with a lot of horsepower, they have optimized compute types where you can have tons and tons of RAM, hundreds of gigs of RAM, uh, or crazy fast, just beautifully fast. I mean, just like people tell me, the best CPUs out there. I actually never... Oh, that is actually that's not true. I have used one of their really fancy CPU dedicated rigs when we were setting up our PeerTube instance and wanted to encode just a ton of video for like 48 hours. <laughs> and you go to do.co slash coder and you get a $100 credit. And don't worry, they got data centers all over the world. So you got global availability. They have baked in monitoring and alerting. So that way you get real time alerts via Slack or email. And you can also have integrated uh, like um like usage points. So when you get to a certain consistent amount of CPU or a consistent amount of network, you can generate alerts on that too. So you can stay on top of how your rigs and make sure that they are fast enough for the workload you have, which makes you look super pro. And then to manage all of it, they have got that great dashboard. They have team management support if you want to work with multiple people. You can resize droplets, upgrade them, or even down, downgrade them. And they've integrated backups and snapshots too. So you can take backups and snapshots before you do anything cray-cray. It's just a brilliant service. And you can get a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash coder. That's do.co slash coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Sakota Radio Program, do.co slash coder. I don't know where this uh, tool came in. I, I think I think I found it just looking around the web I, or it might have been submitted. I don't remember. It's, it all kind of runs together now. But, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we get this email, sort of a generic email that comes into the show and says, hey, how do I get started in open source? Like, I kind of want to build a bit of a resume. I'd like to help out some open source projects, but I just don't even know how to start. Like, how do I even begin that process? And that's where a site called CodeTriage.com comes in. It's free community tools for contributing to open source projects. So that's right there pretty neat. And the way it works is you go into Code Triage. And it lets you pick the repos that you want to help with. So let's say Visual Studio Code, for example. And then they'll period periodically, not like spammy, send you the issues that are open. If you get too busy, they have an algorithm that helps back off the issue load so that way you don't get overwhelmed. It's really designed to help you build new skills and a habit of involvement. It's pretty nice. So when you go over there to codetriage.cam and take a look around, You'll see, for example, like uh, you sign in with your GitHub account and then you like look at the different uh, projects. Like here's uh, Docker, Go, all Angular, all kinds of different stuff on here. I mean, you just go YouTube DLs on there. So you can go look at YouTube DL and see what issues they're having. They have uh, 31,000 developers working on it and 3,347 open source repos that are using code triage. So you go in there, you say, all right, I want to triage YouTube DLs issues. Or I want to triage their docs. 
And then you get this email that they're algo crafts with links to the issues that you could be working on and helping out with and how to get started. And it makes it all simple and easy. You just click, click, click to get through it all. This is a great way to get your feet wet, great way to build the resume, and a great way to build a habit to be involved with open source projects, codetriage.com. Little uh, little pick for you there, Mike. What do you think? Fancy, eh? A nice looking site, too. Sounds super fancy. Yeah. I felt like I felt fancy after I found that. I was like, I, I feel so fancy. I got to put this in the show. That's how I felt. You know, I was like, this is this is show relief. This is this is worth it. Uh, so our, our schedule is a little funky for the next few weeks. So we've, mm. you know, especially like when I get sick on the way into the studio. So the best way to make sure you're always getting the latest coder is coder.show slash subscribe. You get you pick one of your feeds from there and then you plug that into your podcast catcher. I love Overcast on iOS and Pocket Cast on Android, two of my favorites, but there's lots of good ones, lots of good ones. Uh, and you just plug it into your favorite one. And we got links to some of them right there on the site, coder.show slash subscribe and Links to everything we talked about today, including uh, that uh, code triage, is at coder.show slash 323. Really easy. Super easy. So you can do, you can just uh, plug that into your web browser and get all the goodness that we've talked about. Well, what do you think, Mr. Dominic? Is there anything else uh, for us to cover in today's episode? No, I, I don't think for this episode, though. Mm. All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for tuning in this week's show. Go get Mr. Dominic. Uh, he's at Dominoco on the Twitters. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, go to at the mad oh go to the madbotter.com sam so use the twitter syntax now yeah yeah i know right it infects the mind the madbotter.com coder.shows our website i'm at chris las the whole network is at jupiter signal thanks so much for being here we'll see you next week <laughs>